Hello, I'm Joss Stone. Thanks for joining me for a cup of happy. I spent the last few years singing my songs in every country in the world and been lucky enough to meet incredible people from all walks of life. What really struck me is that no matter where we are, we're all on the same mission. We're all just trying to find our version of happy. So with this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to a whole host of people to dig deeper into the what, why, and how of this emotion we call happiness. I hope that with these conversations, you discover something to help you on your own quest for happiness, possibly change your mind on a few things, and along the way, share a good old laugh with me and my guests. Today's guest describes herself as a writer who relentlessly explores human nature to understand how we can make our lives better. On top of being a New York Times bestselling author, having written multiple books on happiness, she's also got an award-winning podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen is a giver, constantly digesting the world's best information on how to live a happier life, then making it simple for you and I to understand and benefit from. We speak about her Four Tendencies quiz, something she designed to help us understand each other more, creating new habits and getting rid of unwanted ones, and she even gave me some tips on how to declutter my room and in turn declutter my brain. There are so many useful tidbits she talks about in this episode to help us understand ourselves and people around us more. I hope you hear a couple of gems that you can put into practice today. Hello, Gretchen. How are you doing today? Wonderful. I'm so happy to get the chance to talk to you. I know. Honestly, me too. I have been listening and watching you over and over again, getting all sorts of different tips and tricks on life on how to be happier. And the thing that really I am enjoying the most, mainly because it has a quiz, is the four tendencies. Oh, yes. Okay. So I have to ask you of the of my personality <laughs> profile. Um, there are upholders, questioners, obligers and rebels. What are you? So I knew what I was going to be before I did the quiz. I think Ooh. everyone does, right? I, I'm a questioner. Like ah. a thousand percent. <laughs> and ah. it's funny because I called my partner when I was doing the quiz because there was one question that had like three answers that I could have said yes. Mm. Ah. And the question was if other people thought this about you, you know, which would make you less shocked. Mm. And that's why I called him. I was like, what would it be? And he goes, well, you ask a lot of questions. Yes. <laughs> That is is one of the big tells for questioners. Yes, it is. So when you go online, you open up this quiz and it says, one of the daily challenges of life is, how do I get people, including myself, to do what I want? And I think, I know that sentence sounds almost harsh because it's like you're trying to control the world around you, but that's all we want, isn't it? We want our partner to you know put the toilet seat down sometimes mm-hmm. and um you know maybe our best girlfriend to be nice when she's in a bad mood you know we right. want people to be nice we want to be able to work with people productively and all that so it reminded me a little bit of the love languages yes yeah so you're kind yeah. of you're using this to help people to understand the personalities in front of them so they can then i, I guess I don't know, walk through life a little easier. Is that why you created it? Right, because I realized when I was working on my book better than before, I was trying to understand habits and patterns of habits. Like sometimes we form habits very easily and sometimes it's almost 
it seems impossible. And then some people seem to do it without much effort. And then some people like don't even want habits. So trying to understand these patterns. And a friend of mine said to me, well, the funny thing about me is exercise. I know I'm happier when I exercise. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And I thought, well, why? It's the same person. It's the same behavior. At one time, she did it with no problem. Now she's really struggling. How do you explain the change? Like, why was it easy at one time and now it's hard? And so that's what led me to this four tendencies personality framework. And you're exactly right. The idea of it is it's supposed to give you insight. So if you want to get yourself to do something or you want to understand someone else's perspective, you can think, okay, instead of just throwing a lot of spaghetti against the wall, you can say like, oh, well, if I know you're a questioner, Joss, if I want you to do something, or if you want to do yourself to do something, then I, I know how to kind of speak your language, just like the five love, love languages. I need to speak the language that is going to resonate with you. Even if it's not what would so much resonate with me, I need to speak to you in your language. And so that's what the, the person out, the, the four tendencies are meant to help you figure that out. So the language for the lady that wanted to run, she was an obliger, I suppose. Absolutely. Because she was there for her trainer whenever he needed her, but not there for herself. Yes. So shall I explain the four tendencies? Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So as you said, there's there's a quiz online. It's super quick. Like three and a half million people have taken it at GretchenRubin.com slash four tendencies, F-O-U-R. But I'll explain them. And most people kind of know what they like. You sort of went in it knowing what you are. A lot of times people, they don't even have to take the quiz to know themselves and other people. Game of Thrones characters, you know, it's very obvious once you know. But here's what we're looking for. So what it has to do with is expectations. So how do you respond to outer expectations, like a work deadline or a request from a friend or inner expectations? You want to get back into running. You want to get, you want to keep a New Year's resolution. So depending on whether you meet or resist outer and inner expectations, that's what makes you an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, a rebel. So first are upholders. Upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is discipline is my freedom. And I'm an upholder, 100%. I'm an upholder. I wanted to, before you move forward onto questions and obliges and rebels, I have watched you. You are so so intelligent i feel like you're constantly like you've written so many books and you've sold 3.5 million books with um your opinion that helps people like better their lives and i don't know if that's possible to do unless you are a questioner did you ever think about that because i'm like i'm listening to you i'm like this woman is a questioner and you're saying no i'm an upholder so so do they do they see (laughs) do they kind of like kind of mix into each other? They like, do. How does this happen? No, they do. A hundred percent. And I'll go through all four and then I'll go to that question, which is ab- actually really, really important because you picked up on something that's, that took me a long time to understand, but is really central. Right. But if I explain all four, it'll make more sense. Okay. So then questioners like you, questioners question all expectations, outer and inner alike. So they want to know why. They want to have reasons. They want justification. So they're thinking, you know... I don't like anything arbitrary or ineffective or unjustified. They're making everything an inner expectation. If it makes sense to them, they'll do it no problem. If it fails their inner expectation, they'll push back. So their motto is, 
I'll comply if you convince me why. Right. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So that's like my friend on the track team. Like you said, when she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she could do it no problem. But when she was just trying to go on her own, it was a struggle. Mm -hmm. Whenever people talk about self-care, keeping their promises to themselves, making themselves a priority, this is a sign of obliger because obligers understand I can meet promises to other people. Why can't I meet promises to myself? And for them, the key is outer accountability. To meet an inner expectation, they have to have outer accountability. So their motto is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. Right. And that is the biggest tendency for both men and women. You either are an obliger or you have many obligers in your life. It's a big tendency. And then finally, rebels. Rebel is the smallest tendency. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do or that they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically, they don't tell themselves what to do. Like, they don't sign up for a 10 a.m. woodworking class on Saturday because they think, well... They might, might not want to do it then. I might not want to do it. And just yeah. if somebody wants, is expecting me to do it, it's going to annoy me. So they're, <laughs> and it typically they can't, you know, they, they can't tell themselves what to do. I kind of get that, but I think that there's a line, you know. So, so their, their motto is you can't make me and neither can I. Yeah. Yeah. Now to your point about like, do they overlap a hundred percent? Because if you think about it, they all overlap with other tendencies. So you're a questioner and I'm an upholder. Well, we share something very deep, which is that both questioners and upholders readily meet inner expectations. Uh. So we have that in common. Now, but on the other side, upholders overlap with obligers. Obligers and upholders readily meet outer expectations. So we share that in common. So depending on which way you tip, that will color your tendency. You can still be solidly within a tendency, right? but you tip one way or another. So questioner tendency like you, so like my husband is a questioner who tips to upholder. So he and I are very much the same because he's a questioner who tips to upholder. I'm an upholder who tips to questioner. So we have a lot of overlap. But some questioners tip to rebel. They really won't do it unless they are 100% convinced. It's very hard to get them to go along with what you want. They really, really, really need to understand the reasons and buy in. So they almost are looking like they, they, they have a lot in common with rebels. So they do overlap. Um, but still, there is the core impulses of that tendency. Right. So if you're an upholder, um, when you have someone else's expectation, how do you, as that personality type, what does that other person have to be to you in order for you to want to meet their expectations? Do they have to be your boss or paying you or someone that you really respect or just anyone? Well, it depends. I mean, it depends on your values because our values very much color how the tendencies come out. Mm -hmm. So, but I would say, for instance, it's very typical for upholders to pay a lot of attention to like rules being posted in a store or to be, you know, if somebody says, well, the rule is you can't use your phone in here. Very typically an upholder would feel very uneasy about the idea of using a phone because now that's kind of the expectation. That's the rule. Right. One of the challenges for upholders and obligers is we can sometimes get sucked into respecting an expectation, even if we don't really think it through. Like, that's one of the challenges is like, really ask yourself, do you want to meet this expectation? Um, and this is why I think it's great to talk to questioners, because questioners are like, 
Why are you going to do that? And that's really helpful <laughs> because we need to be reminded, like, we're the boss mm. of ourselves. We don't have to do something just because other people expect us to do it. But that is kind of our inclination, and that can get us into trouble sometimes. Just makes you feel more comfortable sometimes. A friend of mine was like that. He said he was on a bobsleigh thing. It was like a dangerous device that was taking them down the mountain when they were skiing. And um, he said, do you know what? I got in there, and I felt really not scared. I felt totally comfortable because this other guy was driving this thing. And I just completely trusted him. And I thought, God, thank God he's driving it, and I'm not. Right. And then they fell over and crashed and he hurt his shoulder and all this. And I was like, okay, so then now how do you feel about trusting this random man that was probably like half drunk and all this? He's like, yeah, no, come to think of it. It actually makes me feel more nervous. But, you know, when he flies, he's like, the pilot's got it. Right. As long as it ain't me, the pilot's got it. When I fly, I'm like, I don't know this man. Right. This makes me very nervous. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't help, it doesn't serve me to be always questioning. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there is a positive and a negative to each different personality type. And if we could kind of take the good bits when we need them and mix them up, how do we do that, Gretchen? Well, you're 100% correct, because for each tendency, like they, they include people who are wildly successful and also people who really struggle. And when you look at the people who are the happiest, healthiest, most productive, most creative, they're the people who have figured out how to do exactly what you're talking about, which is to harness the strength of their tendency to get the benefit of it, but then also to figure out ways to work around the limitations and weaknesses of a tendency. So what you're talking about with questioners is sometimes questioners have like analysis paralysis. Their desire for perfect information makes it hard for them to move forward or to make a decision because they're like, well, I need to know more and more and more. And they're kind of their love of research and like mm. understanding can make it hard because sometimes in this world, we can't have perfect information or like you you don't know how to fly a plane. You don't know how to evaluate a pilot. So the idea that you're questioning the decisions is not useful because you got nothing to add here. And yet that questioner tendency might just kind of like keep nagging at you. And so, so again, it's managing it. So if you're if you're suffering from analysis paralysis or you're, you're dealing with somebody who has analysis paralysis, there's a lot of strategies that questioners can use. Like they can use deadlines. Like mm. I have to decide by Friday. It's not efficient to keep postponing the decision or I'm going to use limits. Like I'm only going to interview five people for this position, not 15, or I'm going to use a trusted mm -hmm. authority. I trust this airline to hire a pilot who knows what they do. I can trust the airline agency more than I can trust my own expertise here. So I can like delegate that to a trusted authority. You can reason yourself into, into calm. A hundred percent. You can use your questioner tendency of understanding, justification, reasons, efficiency to get you where you need to go. But sometimes you have to do this consciously. It's not that you can't do it, but it doesn't always happen automatically. And so you have to say to yourself, okay, let me think this through. Um, yeah. 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 So, and for the rebels, I mean, I think the the downside to a rebel is quite obvious, isn't it? But then the upside is really fun. Um, so, I mean, it's fun. I consider it fun because I've got a little bit mm. of that in me. But but the downside is you can maybe cut your nose off to spite your face because someone told you to do something, but it was actually a great idea. Like, I don't know, brush your teeth or right. something. <laughs> and they're like, no, I won't brush my teeth for a year. 
you know. Well, it's interesting because we were talking about how how a tendency can kind of tip either way. So rebels who tip yeah. to questioner are kind of like, hey, listen, I'm marching to the beat of my own drummer. You know, you have your view, but I have my view and I'm going to do it my way. They're kind of like, I just have to do things my way. Um, but then rebels who tip to obliger are much more like, I'm going to resist. I'm going to push back. And many rebels will say, if somebody tells me to do something that I want to do, I will not do it or I will feel very inclined not to do it simply because someone has told me to do it. And this is why, I mean, back to your original point about why we would want to know this about other people. If you're dealing with a rebel who feels this way, well, you want to realize that if you encourage them, remind them, nudge them, reward them for doing something, you very well might ignite that spirit of resistance. And so you just really want to step back and let the rebel do things in their own way and in their own time, because you could actually be making the situation worse by trying to make it better. And this is very common. Step back, let them do it in their own way. Like you're just likely to mess it up. Let them, they know what they want. You know, once they know, once they want something, rebels are unstoppable. That's the fun part. That's the power of the tendency is how authentic they are and how focused on their own aims they are. Just tremendously energizing. Yeah. Um, but other people can get in the way. Yeah, it's so true. And we all just want to help each other be happy. So we can we can sometimes get involved when we shouldn't be, you know. And it's hard not to, isn't it, when you care? Well, I think it's hard because um, we. it's just very easy to assume that would work. what would work for me would work for you. So, Joss, I don't know about you, but if you're a questioner, I'm an upholder. I would say that maybe something you might say, because upholders and questioners will often say this, is like, hey, listen, co-worker, I don't want to be your babysitter. You do your work in your way, and I'll do my work in my way. I don't want to get up in your business. Like, just get it done and take care of yourself, and I'm going to do my work in my way. And then we're puzzled when that doesn't work for everybody, because this idea of like being accountable to yourself is enough is something that often does not work for other people or it doesn't work in the same way. It's like it's exactly like the love languages, because over and over with the love languages, he emphasizes you cannot speak your language to someone else. You have to speak their language. And so it's all about, well, if I know you're an obliger, it's not helpful for me to say, I don't want to be your babysitter because they need someone to hold them accountable. They do need that. Yeah. They, yeah. And which is, a, it's a huge group of people. So there's nothing wrong with that. They're soldiers and we need soldiers in this life. But they're also great leaders. They're great leaders. Many leaders are obliged. Many tremendous leaders are obligers. So how does that work? How can an obliger be a leader? Because they're doing it for other people. Oh, okay. So the other people are keeping them accountable. So like a politician could be an, an obliger. Oh, a politician, the head of a company could be like, you know, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm here for my people. I'm here for my clients, my students, my employees. It's very common. You know, it's like anytime somebody says something like, oh, I give 110% to my patients. I'm the kind of salesman that's there 24-7 for any time anybody needs me, I'm there. This idea of it, like giving your all. So really people, um, they're very kind. No, 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 no. So this is a really important point. Often with personality profiles, they kind of describe a whole set of things. With the tendencies, you all you know is how someone responds to expectations. So kindness, great example. There is no reason to believe that an obliger would be kind. Oh, they are really? not doing it out of kindness. They're doing it because that's how they respond to expectations. So how adventurous they are, how extroverted they are, how analytical they are. 
how creative they are. It has nothing to do with the tendencies, or at least not that I can tell. Maybe if we crunch giant data, if I had the big data, I would see correlations. Oh, I, yes. I think I think that's a study that you've got to do, Gretchen. That's got to be your next book. Uh, well, I, yeah, if I can get the computer firepower, I would love to do it. But because sometimes people will say like, well, all, all creative people are rebels. No, we don't know that. We do not know that. And then sometimes people, all rebels are selfish. They just want to do what they want to do. I'm like, no, some rebels are incredibly high-minded. They have, inc they're incredibly altruistic. They have extremely high values. So they're choosing to do something in pursuit of a value. So I could choose to do something because I want to be, um, a responsible parent or a loving mm -hmm. partner or an active citizen of my country. I'm choosing to do that. It's all about how you see yourself. It's more how you, it's how you respond to expectations. That's just the clearest thing because it isn't really about how you see yourself. You could have a high value view of yourself or a low view of yourself. It's really just how you respond to expectations. Okay. Okay. So, all right then. So let that brings me on to the next question, which is nature versus nurture. So if it's something that like, it's your personality, if you're born with it and that just is who you are, that's one thing. If it's grown and your parents have maybe, or your caregivers have kind of molded you or your life has molded you um, or maybe you have by deciding you know how you want to see yourself or whatever really is that playing a part in these tendencies and once we are who we are we we have these tendencies these habits that we've created or they've been given to us by god who knows once they're there can we change our stars if we don't like them can we rewrite our story well, I'm a big believer in the genetic roots of personality generally, and I do believe that the four tendencies are hardwired. Uh, they're part of what we bring into the world. They're not a function of of age or you're not one at 20 and one at 40, 40. You're not one at work and one at home. So it's just straight nature. Now, of course, as you say, like time, experience, culture right. is, is going to influence how they come out. Like you're a questioner. If you were born in North Korea, you'd probably learn to shut that down. If you're yeah. in Silicon Valley, it could be one of your greatest assets. Right. And I don't think that people change over time unless there's like some every once in a while people go through truly personality altering situations, but that's rare. For the most part, once you're in a tendency, you stay there. But with experience, back to your point about kind of learning how to work with your tendency, people learn how to how to deal with it. So people will often say to me like, oh, I used to be an obliger, but now I'm in a polder. And I'm like, okay, let's just pause and look <laughs> at your life. And what you'll see is that the person without realizing it has carefully built in outer accountability in every important aim because they've realized, hey, I need outer accountability. To so they've created that outer architecture of accountability. So it's not that they've changed their tendency, they've changed their life in order to get what they want. And I think that's what we can do. Can we change our inborn nature? very questionable. And if so, it would be very hard, but it's much more easy to set change the way things are set up. So if you're a questioner and you're like, hey, you know, I just don't understand why I can't exercise. Like mm. I know I, I should and I can't, instead of saying, oh, well, you need to change from being a questioner to an upholder, I would say, oh, well, you're a questioner. So what I suspect is that you really haven't decided the best, most efficient way for you to exercise. You need to figure out the why. You need to decide why you have really decided that high intensity weight training is the thing you want to do now. And once you've made up your mind, your actions will flow from that. You're away. Mm. That's so true. The why. Yes. Why, why, why? 
I do love that. For questioners. <laughs> for questioners, for it's questioners. fabulous. No, the questioners will march to all the other tendencies and be like, if you get clear on why, your actions will follow. And then they're like, why doesn't this work? And I'm like, because yeah. it doesn't work for people who aren't questioners. It doesn't work. <laughs> just this doesn't is work. so eye-opening, honestly, because I... Obviously, I am the why person. And it's I it's like banging your head against a brick wall sometimes talking to people and you're like, Why are you not thinking? Use your brain. Use your brain. No, and questioners are like, Why are people these lemmings who just go along and they but and they save us all from ourselves? But <laughs> yeah. then do people sometimes say to you, You ask too many questions or do they get Oh yes. Yeah. Cody, my partner's always saying, Why are you always asking so many questions? Yes. And I'm like, Why are you not? Right. What is yes. wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that is a thing. Questioners can drain and overwhelm people with their totally. questions. Because they'll yeah. say things like, I feel like you're undermining my judgment. You're questioning my decisions. I yeah. feel like I'm being investigated by a reporter. So it is something with questioners. Yes. And for questioner children, they can get in trouble because a teacher might think that they're being disrespectful. Oh, this happened to me a lot. I would get sent out of the classroom before the bloody classroom started. Right. And I never knew why. Well, see, this is exactly why. But so I'm this just is, asking. Yeah, you see, you see this coming up a lot of times with questioner mm -hmm. children. And so questioner adults and children need to understand how to phrase their questions, like in a way that doesn't make others feel... Um, attacked. Basically. Attacked, yeah. 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 Or investigated, like you yeah. say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's a time and a place, isn't there? At the end of the day, if someone's talking, don't butt in with a question. <laughs> They're in the flow, you know. Yeah. But on the other hand, I do feel like I think everybody has to understand you're not going to get the buy in from the questioners unless they understand why. And and there's a, and they, we're all protected by that, by their insistence on understanding why things are being done. And I mean, uh, just speaking of questioner children, I'm haunted by a friend of mine. He's a questioner. Mm -hmm. And when he was a kid, he played on the soccer team. He loved it. He played goalie, had oh, a great nice. coach, loved it. Then he got a new coach and the coach had all these drills. And so my friend, you know, this little kid goes to the coach and says, hey, I'm a goalie. I think I should have different drills because I have a very different position. And the coach said, wait for it. You will not like this. He said, I'm the coach. And I say, everybody on my team does the same drills. Oof. And so the kid quit. Because he's like, that, that doesn't make any sense. And so he never, he, he just didn't play soccer. Whereas if that coach had said, hey, you know what? Oh. That seems like it would make sense. But I have studied the coaching systems of all the greatest teams across the world. Yeah. And what they've shown is that the same skills are important no matter what position you play. And that's why my, my drills are on speed, flexibility, whatever. And so the kid was like, oh, I get it. He's thought oh. this through. There's reasons. There's thought here. There's justification. I'm yep. in. Yeah, yeah. Like a two-minute answer yep. would have let that kid play soccer for years. But he's just like, hey, you give me an arbitrary answer, like I'm the coach, I say so. Yeah, that's so so not going to help, is right? it? Right? That's not going to mm -mm -mm. work. Nope. So that would work for an obliger and an upholder and not a rebel and not a, yes. not a questioner. Well, the rebel would probably be like, how much do I want to play on this team? You know? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but he's telling him what to do and he's doing it in a disrespectful manner. Nope. Yeah. Rebels no, out. You're right. Peace. It could be I'm very off-putting to a rebel. Yeah. Absolutely. You have to do it the way I say. That's that is that is not a recipe for rebel cooperation. Nip, 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 nip. So really, for parenting, this is a, a wonderful thing to learn about because I mean, you can have many children; they can all be different. 
Well, and that's what's interesting is people talking about how you have, um, you really have to use different strategies with different children just because it doesn't work mm-hmm. um, to use the same strategies uh, with, with, with children of different tendencies often. Um, you know, if you want a child to practice the piano, you would speak to that child in very different ways depending on what their tendency is. And sometimes people get very kind of annoyed by this because they're like, I manage a big team. How am I going to speak everybody's language? And I'm like, well, you may have not noticed that it's not that effective to speak one language. Just doesn't right. work that well because a lot of people are like, eh, no, I don't, no, no, I don't, not really feeling it. You know, yeah. it's like when you can really speak to people in a way that resonates with them, that's when you get much more cooperation. Yeah. So you talk a lot about making new habits mm. with, you know, working out or ch- just changing your life. I was listening to one of your podcasts earlier talking about burnouts and things like that and how to avoid them. And um, how do we make new habits? Is there any kind of little tips and tricks? Because I, I really find that, I think everybody finds that really difficult to do. I mean, I, mm. I was... I know you talk about orderly spaces. Mm-hmm. So today, because I knew I was going to interview you, I have a massive mountain of clothes on my bed. Like, mm. it's like Kilimanjaro. Mm. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> and oh my God, Cody, my poor partner, he's like, uh, are we going to sort these clothes out? And every time I come in um, from a tour, I don't, I don't empty my suitcase sometimes for weeks because I know I've got to fill it up again. But mm. it's all a bit mad. And I wish that I would have the habit of just every time I come in, just put just put your shit away, Joss. It's not hard, mm-hmm. but the habit is not there. So how do I create this habit? How does anybody create a new habit? Well, one, well, that's a gigantic question. Um, and I think one of the things is to know the four tendencies because you would approach that very differently depending on um, on what, what your tendency is. One thing I might say to you is to try the one minute rule. This is the idea that anything you can do in less than a minute, you do without delay. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you see, oh, I've got this sock on the floor. Can I put it in the hamper? Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you just you like one minute, you're like, I'm just going to do one piece of clothing. I mean, it might seem like, oh my gosh, it would take me months. It's a lot of minutes. To, but you know how many times do you walk through your bedroom? If you did one thing each, if you you spent one minute each time just doing it, it probably would take a lot less time than you think. We often overestimate how much we can get done in a short time, like mm. an afternoon, but then we underestimate how much we can get done if we just do a little bit consistently. Um, so maybe the idea of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to spend 45 minutes on this Mount Kilimanjaro. You're like, <laughs> I don't feel like doing that. But if you're like, okay, I can do one shirt. Right. You yeah. know, and then, you know, or one minute worth, that can help just the habit of the one minute rule. For many people, they say that without really spending any time on something, you can make a pretty big dent. So you're making a mountain into a molehill. There you go. Well yeah. played. Yeah. There you go. That's yeah. a, that's a really good idea. You know, I did this mad tour where I wanted to play every country in the world, and I thought, mm. do you know what? It's just one country after one country. Yes. That's literally all it is. It's just one gig after one gig. What's the big whoop? And it was fine. No drama. I did it in six years, but it didn't feel like six years. Right. It felt like one, 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 one. Right. You know. So you've written many books. So I mean. That takes a long time and a lot of focus. God, the idea of writing a book sounds wonderful to me, but I just, oh my God, that focus. How long does it take you to write one of your amazing books? 
Well, it's interesting because often whatever I'm writing a book about, I've been thinking about sort of taking notes and mm-hmm. pondering for a long time. So it's sort of hard to say how long okay. because they and they often sort of blend into each other because I'll sort of start writing the next one without really realizing it or kind of officially starting. Oh. So it takes, a, so you know, more at least two years, probably more like four years, but not like... But there's never a sort of an official start date. They all they all kind of bleed together, which is wonderful for me because I'm sort of always feeling like I'm going deeper and deeper into what interests me. But it means it's sort of hard to know the timeline. Do you have to have um, a tidy area when you're doing it? I know like when I'm writing a song, I need to have everything tidy. So I definitely don't oh. do it in my bedroom. I do it in the kitchen. <laughs> oh, interesting. I need it tidy, um, yeah. I like. I prefer that. I do. For me, I wrote a little book called Outer Order, Inner Calm, because for most people, Outer Order um, contributes to inner calm. But I will. I as I sit at my desk, sometimes it will get pretty. I'm always scrawling things on little scraps of paper, and so like you know, sometimes I have to think. Okay, I gotta find it. Go through these scraps <laughs> of paper and put all my pens. But I don't know what it is, but I cannot seem to use the same pen. I will pull pen after pen after pen out of a pen cup. Oh, that's funny. And then I'll have like ten pens. And it's like. <laughs> So it takes no time at all to put all the pens back in the pen cup, and yet it feels like a huge visual a massive victory. Task. Because, yeah, it feels like, oh my gosh, it looks so much better in here with all those pens put away. Are they all different colors or something? Yes, you know, so my <laughs> next book is about the five senses and how we can tap into the five senses. So one of the treats that I did for myself is I found this, I was in an office supply store and I was like, well, usually I wear right with the same black and blue felt tip pen, but I found this like marvelous felt tip pen set that was like, Oxblood and Ooh. magenta and olive green. So awesome. all my pens are these like really interesting colors. So that's just like a brown and yeah, you know, it's just that makes it a little bit more fun. Oh, that's kind of um, lovely, isn't it? It is. Yay. It's a really it's like a little treat. Yeah. So the five senses. I'm excited to read that one. That sounds that sounds interesting. I think oh, the it's so um fun yeah the write. the questions are endless aren't they like you know life and what makes us happy and how the brain works and it's like wow it's such a lovely thing to um really put your heart and soul into and and you're sharing it all so we all get the benefit of your hard work so thanks for that well and you know what i get the benefit of everybody else because it's like the world is my research assistant yeah and and people are constantly (laughs) like with the four tendencies people sent me all these examples and it's like as i was trying to figure it out it was like i had all this like rich kind of data because people would be like, oh, this is this is the conversation I had with my obliger child or whatever. Yeah. And then with, with the five senses, people are constantly like, oh, have you listened to this podcast episode? Or here's this interesting article about the sense of smell. Or you should go to this museum that's doing something weird with sound. And I'm like, this is fantastic. You know, yeah. it's like, so, it, so I love putting my ideas out into the world because I get so many like insights and observations and resources back. I love to engage with people. Human nature mm. is just endlessly fascinating. So I feel so fortunate to be able to gain from other people's experiences. Yeah, you're like filling up your life really with purpose, um, mm. which I think does, it is quite happy making to have a sense of purpose. It is. No, that, I, yes, absolutely. Yeah, wonderful. Honestly, um, I can't wait to read that. I know you've got um, a bunch of them. You've got Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, Happier at Home, and then you've got your podcast. What's your podcast called? It's Happier, isn't it? Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Yes. And I noticed you had like little little versions, like three or four minute ones. 
Yeah, that's every, so nice. So, yeah, every that. Monday I have like a two to four minute sort of little story that I tell about happiness, and then, um, and then yeah, every Wednesday it's more like a you know thirty to forty minute regular episodes where we have segments like mm-hmm. try this at home and happiness hacks, and mm-hmm. sometimes we have interviews and uh, happiness stumbling blocks, and um, you know different different we cover different different segments. I and my co-host is my sister. I know who's a she's so TV, cool. She's a TV showrunner in Hollywood, um, and my and one of my my guinea pigs in my self experiments in happiness. So. Yeah, you have a really good rapport. It's nice listening Aww. to you guys chat. It's, it's so fun for us. I mean, she's family, so it's like you can say whatever you want, and she understands. Yes. It's like it really makes sense. It really, it's it's really fun. It's so for years we had said we wanted to collaborate and do something together. So it's really thrilling that now we have this this thing that we work on together. Yeah, it's nice. Um, Relationships yeah. are, are a big thing as well for happiness. We've I've learned, you know. It's, Absolutely. There was this chap in Boston that had um, made a study over, well, he'd joined a study that lasted for like 70 years. Um, oh, the valence, valent, valent? Oh, maybe. Valiant? I yeah. don't know. You might be right. Yeah. Um, but um, his name's Robert Waldinger. I spoke to him on this podcast and um, he was telling me that they had interviewed these people for like years and years and years. And the overwhelming kind of thing that had come out of it was relationships. If you have good relationships that you can rely on, even if there's only three or two or one, you know, you can be happy. So that's a lovely thing. I, I think that's great because it doesn't cost anything, does it? You know, it's just love. But it costs a lot of time and energy. Um, so that is one of the things about relationships is, is I think that we do, we, they, they do t- cost us time and energy. And, we so, and I think you're exactly right. We have to realize like they are a super high priority. They are probably the key to being happier. And so if we're thinking about how to spend our time, energy and our money, mm. um, things that go to relationships are probably a really, really good bet. So if you're like, should I travel to see my old friend? Should I go to a reunion? Should I go to a networking yeah. event? Should I join that book group or start a book group or yeah. go to my neighborhood cookout or whatever? It's like, yeah, if, yes. it, if it if it builds relationships or strengthens relationships, it's probably a good idea. Yeah, I agree. What's the thing in your life that makes you most happy? Well, there's sort of the obvious answers, like my health, my family, my friends. And for me, also reading. Like, I am somebody who just loves to read. It is my it is my playground and my cubicle. Um, so if I was like, what activity makes me happier? Um, I would I would say reading. There's never enough time to read. Oh, I'm terrible at reading. I think I'm a bit afraid of reading. Isn't that bad? Mm. Isn't that crazy? Now, why are you afraid of it? Because I struggled so hard when I was a kid with reading mm. I actually can read fine now and <laughs> I'm still a bit like oh, oh I don't know I see a book and I look at it and I kind of decide how thick it is whether or not I can I can kind of begin the trek do you know what I mean what about audiobooks a lot of people prefer audiobooks I like I do like audiobooks I like listening to podcasts and you know reading little bits short stories I'm all for them long ones oh my god I read um I can tell you that I have read like five books in my life, like really properly read them. And they've taken me months and months and months, sometimes like over a year to read. So Memoirs of a Geisha was one. Mm. I tell you what, I've never been so proud of myself because it is so big. 
<laughs> isn't, yeah. that, isn't that ridiculous? So that's like um, a challenge that is I consider to be really silly, but you do get joy out of it. When you get to the end of the book, especially when it's taken you six months, <laughs> you're, you're like, oh my God, it's over. And sometimes I would like cry when it was over because it was like a best mate, you know? Right. Oh, yes. so lovely. And then my mum will sit there, we'll go on holiday. She'll take three or four books and read them all in about five days. I think that's probably you, isn't it, Gretchen? <laughs> I, I read a lot, yes, yeah. but, 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 but many people prefer audiobooks, so maybe that's just your jam. Yeah, you know? I know, it's funny, isn't it? We're all different. It takes all sorts, doesn't it? It, it takes does. all sorts. But, you know, it's a, that's such like a cliche to say, but it's so true. And I think in the area of happiness, people want to say there's one right way. Here are the seven rules. Just follow these rules. If it worked for me, if it worked for you, yeah, do no. it first thing in the morning. And it's just, it's just like, no, it's just people are all different. And so the question is, what works for you? So for me, like when I did my happiness project originally, reading was one of the things. It wouldn't have been reading for you. Music. Music was not on mine. Music, mind, yeah, that's a good but one. But music, you know, yeah, so there yeah, you yeah. go. I heard you say earlier, there was a lady that had written a book you were talking to on your podcast and you said that happiness is actually quite a difficult thing to write about because you don't want people to take it in the wrong way. And I've learned doing this podcast, like I do you know, um, promo interviews about it and stuff. And sometimes people will, they really will take it the wrong way. And it, it almost becomes controversial. Happiness can be controversial. And yeah. I, I had no idea that it was until starting this podcast. Have you come across that at all? No, I think there's a couple things. Um, one is it is very easy when you're talking about happiness to slip into sentimentality or cliche. And I think people kind of object to that. Yeah. But then on a deeper level, I think sometimes people think, well, you know, if you're if you're worried about your happiness, you're self-centered and selfish oh. and self-absorbed. And in a world full of suffering and injustice, it's not morally appropriate to seek to be happier. But what the research shows and what experience, I think, also shows is that happier people are actually more interested in the problems of the world and more interested in the problems of the people around them. They, they're more likely to volunteer their time. They donate more money. They're more likely to vote. They're more likely to help out yeah. if somebody needs a hand. Get the space in their brain to do it. Otherwise, you're focused on your negativity. Yeah. Absolutely. Because when people are unhappy, it's easy to become defensive and isolated and preoccupied with your own problems. And stuck. Yeah, yeah, because you're yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not very happy. But then when you're happier, you you sort of have the emotional wherewithal to turn outward. So a freer. Yeah. So I think sometimes people do think, well, you're going to be self-absorbed. But it's like, no, actually, it helps you to be less self-absorbed. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's so true. Gretchen, thank you so much. It's been a lovely chat. Oh. I really look forward to all of your books and all of your podcasts. You're wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I feel like we could talk all day. We're interested oh, in no. so many of the same subjects. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Gretchen. Before you click off, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you, whether you listen to every episode or you've only just found us today. It means so much that you're here on this happiness journey with us. My understanding of happiness is changing and evolving every time I speak to one of my amazing guests. But what I really hope is that you're getting something out of it too. That's the point. That's why we do this. I want you to be able to live a happier, more fulfilled life. And one of the easiest ways to do that, as we've learned, is to help the people around you improve theirs. So here's my challenge to you. Think about one thing that you learned from my guest today. 
Really think about how it could change your happiness or improve your happiness. Now, tell one person. Just one person will do. And make their day a little better. Share the love. Thanks again for listening. See you next time for another cup of happy. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.